0: a lot of uh, projects that relate to uh, space and how to use space in 5s uh, not necessarily just about supplies uh, you know when you go to a hospital and you need to have something done the last thing you want to find out is oops you don't have that that's not a good idea
1: And welcome, everybody, to Equality Podcast Season 2. We are thrilled to have with us today Avi Fishman. Avi is the Administrative Director of Process Improvement at Memorial Healthcare System, and we've been wanting to get a healthcare guy on the show for a while. So, Avi, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me today.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, You might not know. In fact, I guarantee you don't know, and most people don't, but when I was getting my MBA, my a specialty was in healthcare management. And I chose that um, track because at the time, Obamacare had sort of just been implemented in the United States. And I figured this would be an important part of business strategy for large companies going forward. And I was not incorrect in that. Um, so lean in healthcare, big, uh, that that's an elephant. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days and what you're doing at uh, Memorial Healthcare System.
2: Sure.
0: Again, thank you for having me. Um I've been at Memorial for 8 years. Originally I came down here from New York. You may be able to detect it in my accent uh, and in the speed of my speaking. Down here people speak a lot slower. Um, so I tend to give them more time when I speak to them. But I think the two of you can handle my speed. So I'll just speak at a normal pace. Um, While I was up in New York, I was a black belt, both in uh, quality and patient safety. And then I transitioned over to the revenue cycle. When I moved down here, I started off as a manager of process improvement. I got promoted to a director and now I'm an administrative director. Throughout all these years, it's been important for me to impress upon others, the importance of lean and lean thinking. Uh, We know what lean is about, but not necessarily everyone in healthcare does. Uh, So uh, I've been working together with a great team of people, both specialists and managers in getting the word out and the best way to get the word out is by teaching others and involving others. So clearly when you're called into a project, you involve others, but teaching is important because uh, you don't wanna tell people what to do. That is not what is about. You wanna to listen to people, you wanna see things, you wanna uh, learn from them. They're the experts, we're just the uh, internal consultants. Uh, so uh, we've, um, I, I'd say revitalized the yellow belt training that the organization had prior to my arriving, uh, made it more interactive and more fun. If you teach and there's no fun, you're not doing a good job teaching. And it became a very popular class within the organization. Uh, people signed up for the class, uh, started up at 10 in the class. It made its way all the way up to 35 people in the class. We got hit by COVID, and COVID changed the dynamic of everything, everywhere, healthcare as well. Uh, and we couldn't get into the classrooms to teach anymore. Or we wouldn't allow people to get into the classrooms and get taught by us. Uh, so we had to uh, change the way we taught and we created an online version a self-paced version of this class and uh, released it i'd say in february and we've now been having around 30 people a month again taking this class so we're on the path to most probably having uh, over 400 people take it this year for me it's important to teach and to impress upon people the benefits of lean and lean thinking because they'll start thinking and doing things differently in the workplace or they'll call upon us, my team, to come in and help them do things better. So I'll stop there and let you ask me anything you'd like.
2: Well, I'd like to start and I would first like to say, apologies if my Southern vibes are a little too slow for you. <laughs> I can <handle> it. <laughs> life in Texas is a uh, it is very slow going there's nothing fast we do at whatsoever but um, I like that so much that you mentioned it being fun as you may or may not know I am the funniest lean guy for a reason and that is because relating to people is the number one part of this job and if I crack a smile I get you to laugh then I already have your rate of acceptance when we go to learn something together
1: yeah, I like that you're starting with the education piece. You know, uh I think that uh healthcare has some unique challenges and we'll get into that maybe in a minute. But across the board, there's so much information, disinformation and misinformation around lean that I often find myself re-educating people. Uh, so there's an education element um helping people to understand exactly what they're doing and getting into and organizational values and all of that. But there's also an element of correcting assumptions, right? So, you know, maybe this guy worked for a factory that, you know, talked about going lean and then they fired a bunch of people. You know, the last thing I need is that guy running around telling everybody, you know, get your resume out there. You're about to get fired. Right. Um, So I like that you started with that. In, in terms of rate of acceptance uh, in the healthcare industry and what uh, your organizational um, arrangement is, right? what is the um, primary, I guess, block in people's minds towards doing lean in healthcare? And I'm, I'm talking about the frontline workers, not management at this point. You no,
0: know, I think trust is not easy to gain. Um, And I'd say that most employees, and maybe in other industries other than healthcare, may not trust consultants. But I'm not a consultant. I'm a Memorial employee. And there's a difference between internal and external consultants. And I think impressing upon them that they can let their guard down. They can trust us. They can work with us. We're there to work with them. I don't go into a place and have people run away from me like they may have up north because I'm not there to cut jobs. I'm there to cut waste. And there's a difference between cutting people and cutting waste. We can get rid of a lot of waste and give people time back, uh, time to have lunch, time to laugh, time to smile, time to catch up on their emails or time to be more efficient, time to spend more time with patients. So... uh, It takes time. Trust is not easily gained, but as you build trust in one place, you build it throughout that place and throughout the system and throughout the organization so much so that people start calling you, asking if you can come and spend some time with them. So it takes time, but trust is the first element that you need to be able to work with anyone.
2: So how do you go about your personal approach to getting people on board?
0: Well, we um, You have to have icebreakers uh, when you meet with people. Uh, You don't talk down to people. And you definitely listen to people. If people see you listening and you respecting them, because let's face it, lean is about respect, then you can gain their trust. Uh, So um, everyone has an equal say. I don't care if you're the CEO or someone that's cleaning something. You have equal say when it comes to working with us. Uh, The project may be pushed because the CEO wanted it done, but we don't just get things done. The people help us, direct us, guide us, and move us to where we need to go. So you just have to get people to speak openly and freely. It takes some time. But usually the dynamic in the room is there's always that one person that talks a lot and that one person that doesn't talk. By the end of a uh, meeting or the end of let's say an event, we can get everyone to talk and everyone to participate.
1: I like how you tied those together, you know, the showing respect and listening, um, and the, the, you know, not talking down to people. Right. So. I, you know, worked with some folks and probably even been that guy myself at one point where I was so full of answers that I wasn't listening to other people and you know whether we intend to or not that always comes across as talking down and so. uh, For me personally disciplining my behavior and speech when i'm helping folks has gone a long way towards uh, building trust and. You know, the image management side of the job is really important. So I may be listening to everybody and taking mental notes, but they also have to know that I'm listening. And while I have the memory to listen, take notes, correlate and do all that in the background while I'm talking with folks or or having a lecture or presentation, they don't know that. And so now I intentionally, you know, have one of those uh, flip charts, you know, and I'll write on there with a marker or use post-it notes or something similar because of what it's signaling, uh, to the employees. So tell me a little bit about, uh, your methodology and tips and tricks when you are working with folks and trying to gain trust for the first time, what are some things that you do?
0: Well, you uh, many times will repeat what you heard. So you make sure you heard it correctly. Uh, Because the worst thing you can do is assume you got it right and have gotten it wrong. And then they know you're not listening. So if you repeat to them what you heard, and then you write it down and they see that you heard them, you wrote it down, I think it shows them that you're listening. It also shows them that they're now on the board and they're important as opposed to you just repeating something. Putting people on the board and their ideas there is great because then more people want to get on the board. But then eventually being on the board is not enough. We need to then move towards what we have on the board. What do we do with that? So you can have a B and E matrix and decide if it's something that's easy to do or not easy to do. And that's when you try to get agreement or consensus. And that's a different topic in itself. But when it comes to listening, I think you need to repeat, acknowledge, and display and then people know that, hey, he's listening to me, I have a voice.
1: So I notice a long history here with um, Memorial Healthcare System. So that tells me that the senior management is uh, committed and, and bought in. Um, what about the rest of the organization, though, as you work with Uh, healthcare providers, especially physicians, because, you know, not calling anybody out, but they tend to be really opinionated, right? Um, Tell me a little bit about the objections that you commonly hear and how you deal with those.
0: Well, um, I can tell you it wasn't easy to get the um, leadership at Memorial to agree to doing things the lean way, and there's still some work to be done. Uh, But clearly, there is support for what we do and acknowledgement of the importance of of what we do, so much so that on occasion when my boss would meet with the CEO, he would say, why can't we standardize that? So just knowing that they're starting to think the way we think, that's an accomplishment. Now, physicians, as you note, are different kind of people. Uh, They're well-educated people, and um, they do things their way. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with what they do and how they do it. But trying to get them to think differently is not easy. But again, it's getting people on a team, everyone having a voice, everyone being able to share their concerns. Uh, Many times you'll hear, but this is the way we've always done it. Uh, We're open to change, and I think physicians are open to best practices. Uh, So when you can show them that, hey, this organization tried this this way, and it resulted in a reduction in, let's say, some sort of turnaround time, then they may be open-minded. So I definitely don't go in there and tell them my way or the highway, because I really don't have any way to go anyway. Uh, But it's important for them to understand that data will drive us in a certain direction, and best practices will as well, Uh, but that everyone's voice, including theirs, is important. I think eventually they get it, It takes perhaps a little bit more time to get physician buy-in. It doesn't take that much time to get physician participation unless they don't have the time. So the first thing we try to do is make sure of availability of everyone on the team, because it's a commitment. We can't do anything without their commitment. We've already been pre-committed, so to speak. Uh, So it's doable. It just takes a little bit more time. And they ask different questions, and we have to be able to answer them.
2: Yeah, step one in the transformation process, engineer the capacity to do so, because if you're 100% occupied, you're not going anywhere. Now, funny observation, why can't we fix what's going on in the lobby? Because every time I go for a health checkup, I walk up, I talk to somebody, fill out a paperwork, sit down, get called back up, fill out some paperwork, sit back down, then get called to go talk to somebody. How can we solve that?
0: Well, I think in certain practices, it's already being solved. I can, I can share with both of you on Friday, this doesn't relate to work, but on Friday, I took my kids for their flu shots. Being someone in healthcare, we're a vaccinated family in many ways, but the flu shot is very important. Uh, so I got the, the, uh, the pediatrician's office, uh, sent me a link. I pre-registered both kids, filled out all the questions. I got there. All they wanted from me was the $20 and we were done. Now, unfortunately, you're right. You have to go to a waiting room to then go to the exam room. And there's still some waiting there. And you have to wait for the doctor and then wait for the nurse. But I think uh, organizations will eventually get to uh, reducing those uh, annoying and unnecessary steps of filling out forms. A lot of the stuff they already have. So you just have to update a form. So I think we're going to get there. uh, you know, fax machines aren't used anymore. So I think there's there's progress uh, in the making. We just have to be somewhat more patient than we'd like to be.
1: Yeah, I had uh, a healthcare experience in Texas, in Dallas. And this was during, um, you know, the early part of the pandemic when uh, things were, you know, a, a little scarier and stricter. Um, and they were part of a health network. So all of my patient information was accessible to them. So when it was time for my appointment, they had a remote check-in procedure. So you get an automated email, click the link, uh, fill out a couple of blanks. Um, and you're done Walk into the building. They actually sent an automated text. So it's time, time to come in because they didn't want, you know, crowds in the lobby. Go in, get my temperature checked, pay the money, and then go to the exam room. So it was interesting to me, of course, you know, I was more interested in that than the healthcare I was receiving. But it was interesting how, when the organization had to control stuff because of the pandemic, they almost immediately found a way to flow people from their car into the exam room, you know. So maybe some of these practices will stick around after the the pandemic. I think so. Yeah, there's always that challenge of, you know, we've always done it this way. Um, No incentive to change, right?
0: But when you do it right, you save time. You save time for the people that do the work, and I think they deserve some extra time, uh, perhaps not running around looking for things uh, that they may have run out of, Um, So, um, or even the customers such as ourselves that just don't want to wait so long for certain things. So I think um, the pandemic brought about ways of doing things better, uh, quicker. We had no other choice um, and hopefully we'll continue to push for excellence because by doing that, everyone saves time. It may result in financial savings as well. But if we give back to the customer and we give back to the employee, I think everyone wins.
2: Yeah, and it's you have a unique set of constraints. I'd like to dive into a little bit around healthcare because so my background is in warehousing and manufacturing. And within that space, if I ship a product wrong, damaged, missing, whatever, the customer is going to immediately let me know. Whereas the quality of a person's healthcare not so linear, you know, not so I immediately know whether a doctor was rude to me or whether I got the wrong medicine. It's just, you know, a more extreme example. And also within the management and the people directly in charge, you also don't have a beeline straight to your financials where I can come up with an improvement in a warehouse and go, all right, this is going to save me $90,000. It's really, really hard to do that in the healthcare space. So what is your approach to like selling the value of a project?
0: Well, for me, the greatest value is looking at the process. Uh,
2: Every process
0: has the ability to be improved. Uh, You can identify non-value-added steps that need to be eliminated. Now, there may be some that have to be there for some sort of regulatory constraints, and I'm not going to mess with the government today. Uh, But I can say that there are ways of doing things better, And uh, if we get rid of those non-value added steps, uh, we may be able not only to shave time, but to shave money and save money. Uh, But I typically don't go into, unless otherwise told to, go into a project with the goal of saving money, because when you look to save money, then you may look to do other things. But for me, it's all about the process. Uh, So hopefully we can shorten the process um, and I think uh, if we find ways of saving steps, we'll find ways of saving money. Um, so these, these, the time that people would spend to fill out those forms because they give you the stack of forms and you have to sit down and fill it out and bring it back. You got there on time, but now you're already late. So all this delays their workflow as well. So I think all these things we're doing now that are saving time, are indeed making organizations more efficient. Maybe there's been a reduction in overtime because people are now arriving on time and prepared. So I think we just need to look at this and measure this, but I bet you the things that have been taking place, these improvements that we all enjoy have indeed resulted in savings.
2: Well, I'll tell you how much this group loves processes. Um, the last warehouse I was in charge of, I literally texted John a picture of what the swim lane looked like, like how efficient we had a process. And he's like, oh, I'm coming to see this. And we went toward the facility and looked at how we had the process flows on the wall, just because Mm -hmm. this is generally what we love. This is what we have a passion for.
1: Well, one thing about uh, the employees, you know, and the the benefit that they receive, right? That accrues towards them, you know, through lean. there's an ongoing conversation about a labor shortage in healthcare, you know, driven largely by uh, the pandemic and so on and so forth. Um, But as we all know, if we took a stopwatch out there and measured how much of the day is spent adding value, even currently necessary, necessary non-value added steps, it's still not a lot, it's not a very high percentage. And so by removing the waste in the process, it's like hiring extra people. So if a 1,000 person hospital saves 10%, you just gained hundred people, you know, that's, that's quite, a, uh, quite an improvement. And of course the employees are the ones that benefit there as they're not, uh, you know, run so ragged.
2: I recall a specific event with John where we're discussing lowering the start time from getting on a, on a forklift to getting your RF unit, getting to the warehouse and started work, like from 11 minutes to eight minutes. So everybody's like, why do we care about like this little three minute game? Well, we have a thousand employees. (laughs) So this is a 3,000 minute every shift, you know, kind of game.
0: So we we do a lot of uh, projects that relate to uh, space and how to use space, you know, 5S. Uh, Not necessarily just about supplies. Uh, you know, when you go to a hospital and you need to have something done, the last thing you want to find out is, oops, we don't have that. That's not a good idea. So we have to make sure that they have what they need when they need it consistently. But then you also want to reduce those those uh, all that motion. You know, when you're a patient in an emergency room, they're always running to get you that blanket. Personally, I don't need the blanket, but most probably other people need the blanket. But where is the blanket? It's all the way out in left field. So I think it's important that we look at the space, we look at the people, we look at the supplies, and we try to make things work because although some people may need all that motion, you really don't want all that motion when you're at work.
1: Yeah, it's a great, uh, you know, real life example of we've just always done it this way. And now that there's so much demand, we feel the crunch from the inefficient way of doing things. I had uh, a conversation in college, so I'm going to get really nerdy here, but uh, we had this game we liked to play, and the game consisted of running around a map and collecting weapons and then using those weapons to kill each other, right? So very uh, mature uh, college behavior, and uh, you could collect multiple weapons, but the guy on screen only was ever holding a single weapon. And so you'd click the button to switch weapons and the the character on screen would go like this and he's holding a different weapon, right? Like magic. And so we got into this conversation of how is this happening, right? Well, the answer is it's a video game and that was easy to, display on the screen didn't take a lot of work right but we decided that this character was holding his weapons in a dimensionally shifted cache that floated behind him on his back and could put the weapon back there in a different dimension and pull another weapon out and because it was in a different dimension it didn't weigh anything etc cetera, etc cetera. so obviously we had way too much time on our hands and were probably ingesting things we shouldn't have been but i always took that story with me because i thought that is the ultimate lean process if everything you use for the entire process is dimensionally shifted right here and all you have to do is put this away and get this thing out that would be perfectly lean right or as close to it as we'll get in science fiction and the blankets reminded me of that story because anytime i'm watching a process and somebody has to move their body to get something a tool, a supply, something like that, that story always comes back to my mind. What if it was right here and all they had to do was this and, and have their stuff, right?
2: Audience gets a whole different side of John today. Wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I bring out the best in people. The example that we use, and actually it's, I haven't coined this example, but one of my former employees use is that when we set up a room, even Ray Charles would know where things are. So you just know where to go to get things without even looking, because then you've set it up perfectly so that you know where to go all the time, because things are in their place all the time.
1: I love that. That's a great example. My apologies for my generation.
2: (laughs) It's a fair trade. We're we're two opposite hard ends of the same coin. So I like that we can have a middle ground like this.
1: Well, I certainly do not have a problem with alcohol. I've made friends with it a long time ago. Uh, Good, so uh, picking back up, change the subject real fast. I noticed some pretty cool records on your wall. You want to tell me about those?
0: Uh, The records on the wall are, well, they don't even make records anymore. But back in the day in the 60s when uh, we bought records, and I was pretty young in the 60s, the records on the uh, the wall are from the Beatles. So there's the White Album. There may be uh, the, let's take a look, um, the Rubber Soul album. Uh, so um, I was going through stuff at my parents' place uh, a few years ago and uh, I discovered the LPs and I asked my oldest brother, since they really belonged to him, he was the one that waited online for most probably 10 hours to get the White Album. Uh, if he wanted them, he said, no, nah, I don't want them. So I... I brought them back to Florida and I got them framed. Uh, The kids have no idea what LPs are, what cassettes are, what eight tracks are, Uh, but uh, I share with them these stories. And uh, when I used to drive the kids to elementary school uh, a while back, uh, we would play the Beatles in the morning. So I did provide them with some cultural upbringing as well, appreciation for good music. So it's the Beatles in the background.
2: Did you leave all of the disco music buried in the past? <laughs> I notice a lot of people don't bring that with them.
0: <laughs> My okay. hair is much shorter yeah. now than when I was growing up. But uh, disco, once in a while, comes back on the radio, and I'll let them know, 1978, Saturday Night Fever. And they'll look at you like, what?
1: So uh, lean in healthcare. care. Uh, you've been at it for quite some time and working on the culture. And you mentioned that you have education so it's like you're planting the field right now right and then i imagine there's you know a lot of watering and that sort of thing that goes on so tell me about the organizational approach do you start with a facility do you start with a a department um how does that go walk me through it a little bit
0: Well, uh, I'd say uh, projects start either with uh, a need that is identified on the front line or from the leadership. And I'll give you a perfect example, one that just uh, happened to become a project uh, just a few weeks ago. And this really stemmed from the leadership, but it stemmed from the leadership because one of our uh, execs. Uh, during this pandemic, they go and they volunteer time at the hospital so they can help out and also see what's going on. Uh, he was in our emergency department at one of our facilities, and he noticed that the process really wasn't going the way perhaps he thought it should go. Uh, he most probably noticed a lot of phone calls, a lot of looking up on a board. Um, and he, he said, you know, this may be something you want to involve process improvement in. So clearly when we get a call from the leadership, we react quite quickly. Um, And we're now meeting with the uh, people on the front line. We've gone to the Gemba, we've taken a look at what they do. And of course, uh, Gemba walks are non-judgmental walks. You just wanna see, Uh, you wanna learn, Um, but they were prepared and we really didn't want anyone to be prepared, but they, they showed us all the steps that they go through. And now we're going to, of course, get that charter together, uh, get the team together, get the sign off on the charter and work towards making the process better as, as much as we can. Now, clearly there are things that get in the way of making the process better. And that's usually the electronic medical record because you can't really bend it as much as you'd like to, but we'll find the way with them or they'll find the way with us to make that process better. And then there are the projects that the, The front line will bring to us and we get those calls all the time where they'll say, hey, we heard you did something over there where you helped them organize their space. Can you help us? Uh, Or there's just something not working here. Can you help us? And we love those calls because when the people that do the work are looking for help, it's a lot better than when you have a leader telling me to help them out. Uh, Luckily, they know me and they know my team. Uh, This particular hospital is one that's always found ways of doing things. They actually created what they call their 5S team and they would have monthly meetings and they they themselves, not me. They would look for things that could be improved. They would call me in when they needed me. Uh, But they were really the go getters of things anyway. So there are the two spectrum sides of the spectrum there, where you have the leadership imposing or the frontline requesting. Either way, we'll go in, we'll help. And either way, the people that do the work will end up with a better process.
2: So if John and I drop our new upcoming invention, the blanket dispenser for emergency rooms, uh, you don't get a piece. I'm just letting you know. (laughs)
0: It's okay, it warms my heart that you're interested in doing that. (laughs)
2: um, I I am interested in doing that now. That is something we're absolutely taking to the bank.
1: Yeah, Jake and I are both uh, really just in love with helping people. That's that's what we love. And we both got into lean management um, and continuous improvement, you know, kind of because that's what our companies were doing you know, that we work for. And as soon as we sort of picked up on how powerful it was to make life better for the people doing the work, uh, we just both uh, fell in love with it. Um, And so, you know, whether it's a blanket dispenser, or just putting the blankets on a shelf in the room, instead of down two floors, you know, across the hall and and everything else. um, These are the kinds of things that really rev our engines. So Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, a story or two about helping the people doing the work and, you know, some of the uh, joy that they got out of seeing their life easier and what that felt like for you?
0: So in the beginning of the conversation, we were looking at how to get people involved and participate. And I mentioned how important respect is. Uh, The greatest joy for me is when uh, those aha moments that people have. Because for years they've been doing something either because it's always been done that way or because there was this one time when we ran out of something. And that's when we started stocking up and having a five-year supply for certain things when we really didn't need it. So um, those aha moments when they finally realized that, yes, there is a better way. Yes, we can do this. Yes, why don't we set up par levels? Why don't we have a, a Kanban system, right? So those moments are the most valuable moments to me. Uh, you know, um, I'm not in this for the money per se. I'm really in this for the improvements uh, because if I wanted to make more money, I'd most probably work for a, a consulting company or start my own. But making things better for patients, for employees, Going back and seeing the improvements that they made, the improvements that they are sustaining, that's the greatest reward because I've been there in that emergency room, uh, not necessarily here in Florida, but in New York, I've been in an emergency room. I've been that patient. I've been that person waiting for hours for a doctor to come see me, waiting for hours to get out of there. So I know what it's like. Not everyone knows what it's like. I've seen it through the eyes of my parents. I've seen it through the eyes of my loved ones. So for me, the work that I do, the work that my team does, it's a passion. Because if we can make things better for me the next time I'm in the emergency room, or for God forbid, if you need an emergency room, these are improvements that are um, changing lives. And not only the lives of the people doing it, but the people that are getting the care. So uh, the project work that we do, not all of them are are life changing, but I think in a way, even those small little improvements, those are most probably the biggest improvements because sometimes they even doubt that you can make any improvement in their department. Like who are you to come in here and tell me that you're gonna make things better? Of course, I don't come in and tell anyone anything, I listen, but when it's all done, the little improvements, that's the first step to more improvements. And that's the beauty behind process improvement.
2: Well, that's kind of why the podcast kicked off, because we found if we're smoking a cigar and having a drink on the porch and chatting for three hours, and once we get through all the BS, and if we're talking philosophically about anything, like we keep circling around to that same point. And that's the really meaningful work lies within that. in you know, coming to terms with the business as a system, of processes, and then improving said processes. Um, Just to go a little tangent on you, you seem very connected in this space because every time I look at your LinkedIn content, you're sharing another job, both inside and outside of the CI space. So tell us a little about that.
0: You know, ever since the pandemic um, started impacting uh, employment and uh, improvers looking for work, uh, people would reach out to me and you know, if it's just one person, I can help the one person. If it's two people. And it just kept on growing where people were just reaching out to me. Uh, and I already have a uh, say followers. I'm not worthy of being followed, but there are people that look at my postings. Uh, and I decided that uh, if people are looking, why not share the jobs that are out there? Because something can happen. I actually get feedback from some people that uh, they got interviews based on the postings that I posted. I feel good about that, but you know we were talking earlier about giving back. You know, giving back is so important. You know, this world is not about me; it's about us. So posting those jobs, helping improvers look for work, helping improvers land the job—look, they're qualified to do the work. Just stuff happened, man. A pandemic got in the way. So if I can help them get a job, it just—I'm uh, always posting. You know, it, it could be during my lunch break this morning. It was out there in the backyard before I was barbecuing for the family. I decided, hey, let's see what's out there. I found another three positions. I posted them. Uh, usually they're hospital or healthcare, but sometimes it could be a pharmaceutical company or another healthcare-related company. People are looking for work. Let's help them find a job.
2: John, do you have any burning, uh, you know, healthcare dirt? Do you want to share and see if, if you can spill the beans on?
1: Hmm. That's a great question. No, um, I do think, though, I think that most Americans have a somewhat negative view of healthcare. When I have and- conversations with <laughs> with people, um, there's not a lot of appreciation. Now, there's one exception to that. I've got a friend who is in love with his doctor because he has a concierge doctor, and I did the math, and it's actually cheaper than my insurance, so I'm really seriously thinking about doing this. Um, But outside of special cases like that, um, it's more common to hear people be dissatisfied. So. Part of the challenge there is the health industry is a system of different players, you know, the payer and the consumer are not the same. Um, That's something that no matter how lean you are, you can't get around things like insurance codes right, Um, or what rate they negotiate with the hospital, for example. So Maybe if you could tell us a little bit about how you deal with those external uh, systems and forces that kind of make the experience for everybody suck um, that you don't have any control over.
0: Don't necessarily deal, at least on a professional level, with those external forces. No one has asked me to come in and work on a project related to um, coding. Although that may one day happen, if anyone's listening, Uh, it could happen. Um, But uh, clearly, uh, I agree. This is, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out what industries are the most hated industries. Where is there the most um, lack of trust? You know, people dread going into a car dealership because they don't trust the salesman. They know what car they want, but they don't trust the salesman. Now, in healthcare they go in because they want a better outcome. I think they trust the salesman because they went to the dealership they wanted to go to. Right. We as consumers have a choice as to where we could go to get our care or in a limited way, our insurance providers will give us a choice as to where we can go, Uh, the choice may be narrowed, but hopefully within that choice, you'll find that dealership, that provider that you trust and you feel comfortable with. So when you drive out of there or when you leave, uh, you'll feel better or you'll look better in that car. So healthcare um, has had its image problems. Nursing homes have had their image problems. Certain hospitals have had problems. I think they all want to do the right thing. How you get to doing the right thing is the challenge. And how you consistently provide quality uh, without errors, which could result in adverse uh, um, events, that's the challenge. So you want to set up mechanisms. Sometimes you got to set up those, uh, those checklists. People hate checklists, but let's face it. When you check off those boxes and you go through things methodically, odds are you're not going to make a mistake. Or odds are you're not going to leave something behind after you stitched up that patient after surgery. So things have to be done, even if they may add time because they do add value or they do add quality or they do reduce the likelihood of an adverse event. But the image problem, you know, I... I think over time, image will improve because the end result is better care. I think people are living longer. At least that's what I'm told. Uh, That may be a good thing for me. Both of you don't have to worry, uh, but I'm a little bit ahead of you. So if I can live longer, that's a great thing. Those are advances that we appreciate. Now, if we can live longer without pain or without discomfort, that would be even better. So we have to... uh, regulate ourselves. And many times we as patients, we as individuals are most probably really bad at regulating ourselves. Look, I'm a process improver. I'm going out there and I'm improving processes. What I should really be focusing my time on is improving my own process and perhaps losing 20 pounds. If I lost those 20 pounds, odds are I wouldn't need to take meds. Odds are I wouldn't need to see the doctor. Odds are I wouldn't need any care. If you come up with that
2: that good process, could you please share it with me three times?
0: I'm trying to map out this process, it's not easy. A lot of non-value-added steps that really taste good. So if I could have value-added steps that tasted better than the non-value-added steps, I'd be in much better physical shape. So I think the onus is really not just on healthcare, it's on us, but we'll see where that goes.
1: Well, it, it's well I think, just a, but it's more than just an image problem, right? Because the system, for getting healthcare in the United States is inefficient for people. So on the one hand, I can't afford it. On the other hand, depending on the state I live in, I might not be able to get insurance unless I'm employed. Once I have insurance, there's a $5,000 deductible and a $500 a month uh, premium. And then maybe the specialist I need to see is out of network, you know, and, and the list goes on. It becomes a lot of friction. Right, and um, a lot of time, right, and effort for folks to get health care, especially if it's more than just I have a cold. You know, like I have a communicable disease or I broke a bone, treatment can be, you know, fairly quick. If you have a, a skin disorder and you have to see some specialists, now it becomes, you know, significantly more challenging and
2: expensive. This got of personal
1: so <laughs> Uh, or if like Jake, you just have a a terminal case of being funny, uh, harder to treat. So, um, but that's the outcome of a a complex of systems. Right. And that's not something that a caregiving company can really fix. Right.
2: Yeah. And let me just. Let me add on to the funny bit a little bit, but some real value for once. And that's in the, in my anecdotal experience, when I'm going to choose, let's say a barber or in this case, a specialist, I go and see a handful of specialists. Who's the one I return back to? It's generally the one with an icebreaker that listens to me really well, might crack a joke or two. So that's far more impactful than even if like the quality of care was terrible or great, like somewhere in there, much more of it is, did I like that person as a person? Did they treat me like a person? And I think that that's very valuable.
1: All right, well, stop distracting from the question. So, Avi, the-, the uh, <laughs> oh,
0: Well, the point, uh, the question is?
1: Oh, so the, you know, it's, it's not just an image problem, right? It's an actual access problem and and that's not something that a caregiving company can solve because there's other players in the game right so if you think about the overall process for the consumer to get treatment right it's cutting through that process is cutting through silos not just within your org but there's other players as well so part of lean you know following the process upstream and downstream those are non-controllables what do you do about that, if anything?
0: Well, the, the hospital system that I work for is one that is a safety net system, so they take everybody. You don't have to have insurance. They're not going to turn you away and say, sorry, you can't come here. They go there, they get the care, and they don't have to pay for the care. They don't have the means to do so. I'm not going to say we're okay with that, but that's, that's the way we've been set up and hopefully uh, the government will provide or, or God will provide. Uh, but those that have insurance, it's a different story. And we have to not only pay for our insurance, pay for those co-pays, pay for those deductibles, as you pointed out, uh, but hopefully get the right person, not only the right personality, um, Personality can be important to people. Personality was more important to my mom than the outcome. To me, I don't care if the person doesn't have a good personality because I'm more of a process or quality person and I just want a good outcome. So uh, I may be the one injecting humor when I visit that doctor, though I haven't gotten many of them to smile. So clearly there is a problem with, um, with access and with cost. Uh, this has been going on for years. The good news is, I think the government or insurance companies are paying for what they're getting. In the past, they just paid for what you built, which meant you could build for anything and you get paid. That's not happening anymore. They're paying for what's being done and the amount of time that it's taking. So if I stay in the hospital for five days, but I should have only been there for one day, the hospital is only going to get paid for that one day. So hospitals have to learn more efficient ways of doing things to get it down to that one day so that their costs go down and they can actually or maybe break even or generate revenue. So I think there's a lot of good in the changes that have taken place because they're driving efficiencies, hopefully driving quality as well, because if you have quality and efficiency, you have a better outcome. Uh, But I definitely acknowledge that there's a bigger problem out there than one that Avi Fishman can solve. Uh, We may, may need to get a lot of improvers into this to make the system work better for everyone.
1: Well, I like that approach and I appreciate, you know, the recognition that it's a really big problem. It's a a system of systems um, and we all have to work together for it. Um, So normally the next question would be, given the fact that uh, nobody inside the Beltway wants to work together, how do we make this happen? I'm not going to put you on the spot on the spot with that (laughs) (laughs) one. But we appreciate, I, we appreciate what you're doing. I don't know how
2: to make,
0: I don't know how to make leaders change their minds. Uh, we can get team players to change their minds. We can get doctors to change their minds. Politicians, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of um, term limits because I think people outlive their usefulness if they keep on doing the same thing all the time.
2: Um, yeah, about 20 episodes, that's what I found.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I haven't been an improver my entire life, but at least for the past 15 years, I've been an improvement And the other 15 or 17 doing other things. I like it so much, and it, it's so different each time that I don't think I'm out serving my term limit, but if anyone thinks I am, they should just let me know. But I, I think uh, it's a challenge to get these political leaders to see things differently. You know, they, they, can, uh, they have the best insurance, right? Um, they don't even pay for it either, I suppose. Uh, they don't have to get vaccinated, but all of us do. So they live by different rules. And that's why um, I, have, I have my own challenges with uh, politicians uh, that uh, say one thing and do another thing. In process improvement, you don't say one thing and do another thing. You say it because it's right, and you do it because it's going to work. And that's the beauty behind improvement.
1: Well, you know, when you mention uh, teams and team members, you know, driving improvement, uh, isn't that what we call democracy? A little bit,
0: you know. And I noted that. that- and everyone had the same vote. Everyone had the same amount of input, regardless of their stature. It doesn't matter if you're the janitor or the CEO; you're the same. So it really is true democracy, but it, you know it's founded on respect uh, for the the person. It's not founded on uh, doing it because you know better. I don't know better. Actually, the people that do the work, they most probably know better. They live it every day.
1: Quite a quite a Poignant message for Washington. So we're going to stop all the politics there as we, <laughs> we go on this podcast, no, no, no. only for the sake of humor. Uh, Avi, it was so, um, it was such a pleasure to have you on today to talk about lean in healthcare. We'd like to see how lean is being applied across industries, and it was fascinating to listen to you talk about uh, something that is still, you know, not uh, as widespread in the healthcare industry as it is in, say, manufacturing. So Thank you for joining us. Is there anything that you would like to leave the audience with today?
0: Um, I think uh, if anyone is thinking of getting into uh, industrial engineering or if anyone is thinking of getting a belt, a green belt or a black belt, I highly recommend that they do that. I think these are the foundations that can lead to a lot of doors opening, not just now but in the future, you know, industrial engineers are very special people. They think a certain way, they see things other people don't see the same way. Uh, I have the utmost respect for them. I'm not an industrial engineer. So I have the utmost respect for them. Belts are very important. You can't work for me without a green belt or a black belt. And I think belts should be important for anyone that does improvement because how can you preach it if you don't practice it? And a belt shows that you have that level of expertise that you can go in there and you can lead or you can follow uh, and without it, you really can't. So I am definitely a a strong advocate of getting the right education. And trust me, if you get the right education, you'll most likely get the right job. You may not enjoy the job, but you'll get the right job and hopefully you'll get to the job that you enjoy eventually. Uh, But uh, these are the foundations, these are the tools that you need to succeed not only in process improvement, but most probably in any career that you would choose. So I, I'm, that's my last uh, comment. If you can get that belt, get that degree, uh, because it will provide dividends in the long run.
1: Great, thank you so much for sharing. What's the best way for folks to get in touch with you?
0: If people are looking for me, they can look for me on uh, LinkedIn. Um, and if they want to email me, um, they'll find it through LinkedIn. So the easiest way to get hold of me most probably is through LinkedIn. Uh, a lot of people connect that way. If you're not trying to sell something, I'll most probably connect with you. If you are selling something, I'll most probably no longer be connected to you. Uh, but I, uh, I welcome everyone that wants to be connected, look for a job, learn about process improvements. Please connect with me.
2: Well, we actually met over LinkedIn and I am selling a good time, but thankfully I still got your ear.
1: Thank you for joining us this week for everybody out there in YouTube land. Goodbye.